Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Francisco L. Borges and the Melville Charitable Trust. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the nose. Yeah, we had some last-minute problems here. Did we let them bother us? We did not. Did we have a panelist who kind of had to cancel out around 1030 this morning? We did. Did it throw us for a second? It did not. So uh, a little, little bit later on the show today, I'm, you know what? Because our time is limited here in the A, I'm not even going to tell you what we're talking about in the second segment because I think we really need to plunge in right now to uh, the, the, the top topic here. Before we do that, let me tell you who is on the news today. Pedro Soto is uh, president and CEO of High Grade Precision Technologies. Uh, he joins us by Skype. Uh, and Coach uh, Katie Tularski is uh, director of Homeland Security. Uh, no, that is not her title. She is Senior Director of Storytelling for Connecticut Public. So since she's our boss, does that mean that we are storytelling? Is storytelling just a nice word for content? I think it's a more polite word for content. And content is a more polite word for Soylent Green. So, like, we're just moving up anyway uh, all the time. We're, not, we're no longer just, you know, something that can ground, be ground, <laughs> ground up and fed to people. All right. So um, this is exciting. Uh, I sh- also, so For All Mankind, we should say, is a, an alternative history a drama that uh, basically um, looks at the space race in a very, very different way, in a way that m- involves, among other things, women, women astronauts much more. Um, and uh, a lot of people have written in today and said, said, I thought you didn't allow astronauts on the show. That is true. That is still the case. The astronaut ban is still in place. Astronauts are not allowed on this show. However, no astronauts are going to appear on this show. Instead, uh, sort of fictional astronauts. And there are some actual real astronauts who are depicted there. Or I don't know. We'll, we'll talk a little bit about some of the deep fakes on this show. But before we get uh, into that, let's hear a little clip here. Uh, this is uh, from season one, episode three. We should say the series is now in season Season two, Pedro and I are scrambling to catch up. Katie's way ahead of us. Uh, but uh, you'll hear uh, Deke Slayton uh, as kind of head of all astronauts uh, and a bunch of uh, suits from the Nixon administration. I think that's mainly who's talking here. The president feels it's of national importance that America equals the Soviets in its great achievement of landing a woman on the moon. You mean his poll numbers are down with women? <laughs> to this end, Nixon wants us to put a woman on the moon. Preferably a blonde. You can't be serious. What about Moonlam? What about what? Our lunar base. That's a terrible name. This is bull****, Tom. We're on track to actually beat the Soviets for a change. We can't- Establishing a base on the moon is still our top priority. But so is putting a female astronaut on the moon. They're both top priority. Co-top priorities. Anybody tell the president that we don't have any female astronauts? Well, I think he's aware. Every newspaper, magazine, talk show, and newscast is pointing it out on a daily basis. Can't just put a woman on the moon. She has to be an astronaut. There are procedures, training, tests. And I can't just train one woman. I'll need at least 20 candidates to find one who can pass muster. For God's sake, Deke, this is just something to throw the women's livers in the New York Times. You don't need to go through the whole rigmarole. Just find a nice enough looking lady pilot, put her in a spacesuit, teach her to walk down the goddamn ladder and take her picture. 
Well, there you go. It's as easy as that. All right. So welcome to our panelists. Um, actually, I think one of the reasons we're even doing this series, uh, which I was actually unaware of, uh, is because of Katie Tularski in her capacity as our boss, not in her capacity as a panelist uh, on the show today. So you've, you've stayed with us pretty uh, long, and we, we do want to avoid spoilers as much as possible. But, um, but Katie Tularski, tell us, you know, why, why has this uh, held your attention? Well, I have to say that my husband and I watch a lot of TV. And so I love, um, you know, I love the nose and I love all the stuff that you guys cover. But um, this is one that has really caught my attention. And um, it's I'm more excited about this show than than really anything that I've watched in a long time. And, and partly because it's just I love a good story. And and they're, you know, the creative use of historical fiction uh, in this show, I think um, super effective CGI. I think the character development, um, you know, a more or less nuanced look uh, through the characters and especially a lot of great female characters at issues of immigration, sexuality, feminism, uh, all through the lens of the space race, you know, that's happening starting, starting in the 60s and 70s. So, um, you know, the, just the, the, the story of, um, you know, of, of women going to space, um, I love like history, I love being able to watch a show and sort of be googling at the same time and and the te- you know teaching myself things about history. So, and I ha- I also have to say like, great actors like Joel Kinnaman, like Sonia Walger, um, you know they just it's it's just a great a great story a great show. Yeah, I would say though the cast is mostly it's not big big names. Uh, in some cases, I think that some of these people are better known. I just haven't seen the series that they're in, but uh, this isn't. I mean, Joel Kinnaman probably is the biggest name in it, and from the killing and stuff like that. Uh, although, can I just quickly say before we get on to anything else, what does Chris Bauer have to do to get anything resembling decent billing? Chris Bauer, who was you know Ray Sabatka on The Wire, and he had some big role in True Blood. It's like everything you watch, this guy is on. Uh, and he's Deke Slayton in this thing. He has a tremendous amount of screen time. And you can barely, he's not in the front credits at all. He needs a better agent. All right. So, Pedro, you know, one thing that you pointed out was, I think, uh, similar to the reaction that I had, too, which is this is an alternative history. But instead of like, oh, well, you know, the Pope and Hitler are the same person now or something, it's, 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 a, it's a nudge, right? It sort of starts with one nudge and then a whole series of other subtle nudges like butterflies flapping their wings, I guess, happen. Yeah, I absolutely love that because, I mean, I love um, alternate history, you know, books and shows. Um, the Man in the High Castle, you know, is a recent one, which I absolutely loved. Um, but I, I, I love on this how it it really is like, you know, it's that usually with alternate history, there's one big change and everything is kind of ruined. Um, and you kind of see the lens of the, you, you see the wreckage and that's how the show is, is, is framed. And here it's more, like you said, it's one change, um, a huge change and the consequences aren't necessarily bad. Um, you know, some of them are even amusing. And I think, you know, they're kind of laying and, you know, maybe Katie can like confirm this a bit, but I feel like, you know, there's this really long arc that things are starting to change and it's going to be this kind of steady build. And I love that um, because it gives a lot of time to be able to explore the changes rather than kind of the result, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Katie, when you want to react to that, I think that makes sense. And I think that makes sense, like in, in, in how I'm thinking about it in, in the character growth Mm -hmm. too, because, um, you know, even as you go into the second season, when we're, we jump to the eighties, you know, it's, you'll see like 
um, you know, it, it, there's a huge amount of, of um, uh, you know, we have a, like sort of 60s housewives in the first season and then how those female characters have sort of like come into their own in different ways is really um, like interesting and fun to watch. I do want to say in defense of the Colin McEnroe show that years ago, before the movie Hidden Figures came out or anything like that, we did a show, A, on the so-called computers, the women who uh, worked for NASA and whose work had heretofore been pretty uh, undocumented, but also on the the parallel, I think it was called Mercury 13 uh, women's mm-hmm. space program. We actually had one of the surviving pilots from that on the show that we did a few years ago. There was actually a program at least nominally training women to be astronauts, and they went through everything that Mercury astronauts went through, too. Uh, and so there's a way in which, I mean, some of the stuff that might seem made up isn't quite as made up as it looks. And Pedro, I think that's a point of yours, too. Uh, you, you would be, I guess, in a position yeah. to know about these things, but it's, it's it's stuff might seem fictionalized that actually is truer than you might suppose. Yes. I mean, it was pretty cool. As Katie said, you're, you're kind of running to Google to verify things. Um, I'm a big space buff. I'm a big sci-fi buff. I'm obviously in aerospace manufacturing. So, you know, a lot of the stuff about this and, you know, in terms of what I've grown up with around this is is stuff that I was aware of. So to see it actually kind of utilized and to see like where the pivots are um, is, is really cool. Um, you know, the Russians in the race to the moon did come up with an, a giant um, rocket that basically just kept blowing up um, and killing people, um, which is why they never got there. So obviously in this series, um, that doesn't happen. Um, and seeing, you know, just some of the, I mean, some of it I've read in some of the think pieces on this, it's kind of like these like little name dropping of bits, but I kind of disagree with that. I love how it's integrated into the show and how they're not really throwaway lines. They're actually using it to like build things. Um, like you can see, um, the small thing, like, You'll, I don't want to spoil it, but, you know, Skylab sh- shows up in some degree and, and how Skylab gets, you know, repurposed is kind of a neat little uh, touch point on this. Yeah. So everything is in this kind of plausible world that, you know, I think we might be kind of departing things later on. And I think, um, you know, but I think right now everything is grounded in actual historical bits. Um, and one thing, my favorite thing is um, the, you know, the Tom Lehrer, uh, Werner Von Braun uh, parody song, which I, which is a fantastic song, and that the the video um, is real, um, and the fact that they tie that in, it's a little ahistorical. That happened a few years before the show, but it's just I love it. I absolutely cannot uh, get enough of how effective they're using the actual historical record, twisting it where necessary, and and managing to kind of make this stuff all relevant in the world of the movie of the series. It's very cool. Katie, they're they're doing something, and you would know better because you've seen so much more. But what they've done, I think, is also kind of interesting with uh, some of the historical figures. So at times, they have, for example, a news anchor who looks like Walter Cronkite. It was sort of <laughs> supposed to be, but like not that much like Walter Cronkite. So enough so that somebody like me who grew up with Walter Cronkite are going, well, that's is that supposed to be Walter Cronkite? Because it's really not that much like him. But then they're also doing these kind of deep fakes, right? Where they are taking uh, people who really did exist and, and, and dubbing in, using, I guess, voice impersonators of Johnny Carson or John Lennon or, or whatever to, to kind of really make those characters come alive in a kind of realistic fictional way on screen. 
Yeah, I guess this is like the other side of the coin for deep fakes where we're, it, it's sort of a terrifying concept, but when it's used in this way, it's really effective. Um, they do it, you know, with, with President Richard Nixon and, and some of the things that you, you know, you can hear Nixon's voice, but, but it's sort of like him on the phone and you can't really see his mouth, um, you know, moving, but um, that they do a lot of creative, um, you know, uh, use of archival audio in, in some of this deep fake technology to 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 sort of like, uh, you know, play into the storyline. So it, it it is really effective, and I think the CGI, like the moon shots, are really effective too. Um, the moon base and all that. So it's it's just um, you know, because sometimes you can sort of get take you know if it's bad CGI, you just sort of just get taken out of out of the the moment. So I think that you know that really uh, pulls it together. And well, this show, in terms of its pedigree, I mean, Ron Moore, uh, Ronald Moore is the creator um, with, you know, he was the kind of brainchild of of Deep Space Nine. And then he went on to Battlestar Galactica um, and he has it's the same cinematographer uh, from Battlestar Galactica um, and also, you know, one of the um, not showrunners, but I think the producer is Raman Shankar, who is involved. He's the showrunner of The Expanse. Um, so, you know, in terms of kind of fidelity to space and the use of it and the CGI, it's really, it, you know, the, the, they know what they're doing. They come from a deep uh, background, but it's, it is really amazing. What, the second I saw, actually, the, um, the kind of quick zoom uh, in on um, one of the, on the Moonlander, um, I was like, wait a second, that's the same guy from Scimitar from, from Battlestar, right? And I looked it up and sure enough, it, it was, so... Yeah, I will say that the the, the name Ronald Moore uh, among the three creators uh, was enough to make the deal for me. I'm also a big, <laughs> a big fan of Battlestar. And initially I was sort of watching this and thinking, wow, it's really not that much like Battlestar Galactica in the sense that it, you know that was a very highly realized world. But I think one of the things that they share and they do very well uh, are politics. There, there's a, a sense in which, and we, sh- we can even say, I, I think without spoiling anything, that you know one of the early things that, it's like a little thing, except obviously it's not, is because of something that's really important. There's a news flash that says that uh, Ted Kennedy has come back to Washington from Chappaquiddick to deal with this. And you're thinking, oh, so Chappaquiddick is never going to happen. And But, I mean, there's sort of a way in which this uh, understands very well the intersection between these the world of these kind of action heroes. Uh, they were real-life action heroes, uh, particularly the, you know, these early astronauts uh, piloting stuff that, you know, I mean, was somewhat speculative. Uh, and then the suits, and the suits making all kinds of, you know, deals and issues and stuff like that and making decisions based on geopolitics, making decisions based on on internal U.S. politics. And I, I think Battlestar did that amazingly well. And I think you see it um, also here as well. And, you know, Katie, one thing I was thinking about you guys, you guys are both quite a bit younger than I, I am. I grew up with these early astronauts. And until the movie The Right Stuff, it just I can't tell you how unbelievably sanitized and valorized they were. So the notion that they were hanging around in bars and smoking a lot and, you know, some of them were chasing women all the time. I mean, it was even for, you know, an adult person from whose eyes many scales have fallen when when the right stuff came out or I read the book first. I thought, really, those guys? But I guess for you guys, maybe it's it just maybe normal to see these people being very human. Yeah. yeah, and I go ahead. Oh no, go ahead. I was just going to say I haven't seen the right stuff, but but um, one thing that 
you know, I had to Google because my husband and I were having this conversation was the fact that, you know, there hasn't been a woman on the moon. And, you know, it just feels like I just assumed that there had been and this, this, um, you know, just this idea of like, um, the, you know, the, the, the female astronaut character to me, you know, that that was just really exciting to, to see that that progression mm -hmm. in, in the show. And I love that the, the way that the it's actually like the Russians, you know, obviously, I mean, they did originally in the historical record, um, you know, flew a woman into space decades before the, the U.S. did. But, um, you know, I love that the, you know, the Russians do it and the, you, know, you kind of see the internal politics and the cheapness of the kind of machinations behind it on the political side. But just, you know, there's one episode and scene where it's a little bit too on the nose, but the fact that, you know, they build up to it, that it is this actually pivotal, it turns into a pivotal event in this kind of alternative U.S. history and just how important it is, I think is really well done. It's not, it's done really, you know, um, as a as a great, you know, so it's something where it's like, obviously this like kind of sort of bad thing. Uh, that the Russians beat the U.S. for ends up, you know, really transforming the U.S. itself. So, uh, you know, I, I do want to say something about some of the performances here. And yes, as Katie was saying earlier, there are a number of women uh, actors who's, who kind of jump off the screen at you. Sarah Jones has sort of the ingenue role as uh, Tracy Stevens, but not an ingenue in the sense that she doesn't do anything. She winds up as part of this space program. There's also a very intriguing performance by uh, an actor named Ren Schmidt, who plays Margot Madison. But yeah, you mentioned, Katie, uh, Sonia Walger uh, as Molly Cobb. This is the performance that I'm enjoying the most so far. I'm not as deep she's into She's definitely it. my favorite character and she's yeah. I know her from Lost and so like oh, okay. yes. I immediately recognize her as as Penny from Lost. So I was like so excited to see her. And, and we should say that Molly Co Cobb is is a, a kind of a, a holdover from that early Mercury program. It was kind of a shadow women's Mercury program that that focused on people with on women with really really strong pilot skills. Women who'd been stunt pilots and all, all kinds of stuff like, like like that came into it. And she's this initially anyway hard as nails. A chain smoking kind of get out of my face the rest of you um, character who exudes for the most part kind of contempt for her fellow uh, women astronauts uh, but there's just something very uh, arresting about that and and Katie as they make that character more complex too I mean I've seen some of the complexity beginning to emerge uh, it, it, there's a lot of interesting things going on with the character and just a great performance Yes, yeah, she's she's amazing, and she, you know, I don't know if you've met her husband yet um, yes, in the show, yes, but yes. but he's like that's just a hilarious sort of like twist that you know this hippie, um, because she's as you said she's this hard you know hard as nails like you know scientist astronaut pilot, um, and she's married to this sort of soft hippie artist, um, mm -hmm. and um, again yeah I just love her and and like sort of all the the female characters. Um, like playing off each other and just like helping to sort of bring out the different storylines within, you know, they're all in this in this class together as they're um, trying to, um, you know, figure out who is going to is going to make it, you know, into space. And so, you know, that they have to uh, be put through all these tests. And um, again, it's just it's it's really fun to watch like all of those female characters play off each other. 
We should say that there are 16 episodes available right now on Apple TV Plus. The sixth episode of season two dropped this morning. There are four or more season two episodes expected, and there's going to be a third season. I'm guessing, Pedro. Uh, first of all, I'm astonished that you hadn't already been watching this, but yeah. I'm, I'm guessing you're you're along for the ride. You know, barring some major complication, you're you know you're in for the whole thing. Definitely, I'm I'm hooked. Uh, yeah, I missed. I saw it. You know, I have I've had Apple TV Plus for, since when it came out, and I saw it, but it it was there's so much TV out there that it didn't hit the top of the list. So this was a fantastic opportunity to to watch and and to start watching it, and I'll definitely continue and and see this whole thing through. It's a big commitment. It's so long. I'm I'm used to you know a lot of these kind of newer shows tend to be a little bit shorter, um, but this one really is like you know over an hour plus for most of the episodes. So. Um, but, yep, I'll keep watching. Yeah, I noticed that too, Katie, that, you know, the, uh, I, the, I think the episodes fly by pretty fast. They're interesting enough to me. And, and I'm unlike Pedro, I'm not mm-hmm. quite as much of a sort of sci-fi techie. So I, I need more than that. And I think they do a really good job of supplying somebody like me with quite a bit more than that. So the episodes <laughs> don't seem that long. But then you look up and you realize you watch two and it's time to go to bed. <laughs> Yeah, and I think there's so much going on in each episode. You know, you have, you know, there's there's people on the moon. There's like the NASA, you know, there's this, this the the command center. There's all like there's so many different storylines going on that it, that it feels like, you know, it's it's a, each one is 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 so nuanced and it's like a, you know a little movie each time. So I feel like they do. They just they just fly by and um, yeah. So I would I would definitely um, recommend it. All right. We're going to grab a break here. We're going to say thank you to uh, uh, Coach uh, Katie Tularski, Director of Homeland Security for the United States of America and Senior Director of Storytelling for Connecticut Public. She was on very short notice, so willing to uh, jump in here and help us out and did a great job as well. Pedro Soto is going to stay with us. I do want to once again reemphasize we've been talking about the series uh, for all mankind. Uh, It's a series. It's kind of an alternative history uh, series. Astronauts are still banned from the Colin McEnroe show. Astronauts will not be appearing here uh, anytime in the future. They are banned. Have I emphasized that enough, that they're banned? No astronauts, right? Zero, zero astronauts? Okay. All right, so we don't do this very often, but we're about to change panelists on the fly, like in hockey. Uh, Pedro Soto is still with us, president and CEO of High Grade Precision Technologies. Uh, they did not make any of the parts of the boat that are stuck in the Suez Canal right now that we like to emphasize that. Uh, not responsible. He joins us via Skype. Uh, and joining us also is the Wayne Gretzky of the nose. I don't even know exactly how to describe what she is to the nose, but Carolyn Payne, actress, comedian, dancer, uh, and founder, director, and choreographer of Kinetic Dance. And Carolyn, this is almost your nose dream come true in the sense that we didn't make you watch anything that you didn't want to watch, uh, but you get to talk about something that you find amusing. Yeah, I am living the dream today. So thank you for that. <laughs> really, this is the gift. <laughs> um, yeah, I am very happy to be here to talk about all the ridiculousness of uh, Cinnamon Toast Crunch Guy and this whole saga. It is that this saga has been uh, this week. I have been following this more closely than I probably have 
followed anything in a while. No, that's not true. I was really into Gorilla Glue, uh, uh, girl. I was yes. very into and, and Bean Dad, and there's like a whole world uh, of this stuff. So we should say the Cinnamon Shrimp Toast uh, guy, or I don't know what, the, what order the words are in officially. I think they, they can be used in any particular sequence, but uh, I'm, I'm saying Cinnamon Shrimp Toast guy. So basically, I, I, and Carolyn, you can correct me as we go along here if I get anything wrong, uh, but he's uh, somebody who uh, had a box of Cinnamon Toast Crunch cereal. Uh, in, in it, uh, he apparently found sort of caramelized shrimp tails and, and some other disturbing stuff as well. And there was like kind of a second bag that had like dental floss in it. And, but somehow there was really the, the shrimp tail thing that, that stuck. Uh, there are weird details. His name is Carp. Uh, his wife is Fischl. Uh, they both work in the entertainment industry. Uh, the people who make uh, the uh, cereal have really kind of tried to push back or at least limit the damage of this whole story. But So, Carolyn, what am I leaving out? What are, what's the important uh, key detail that I'm leaving out right now? All right. Well, so this guy, Carp, who found the alleged shrimp in his cinnamon toast crunch, is married to Danielle Fischl, who people in my generation will know as Topanga from Boy Meets World. Uh, so, and she recently did a sponsored content, like essentially like a commercial on her Instagram for a cinnamon toast crunch product. I think some sort of coffee creamer that's flavored from them. And, uh, he used to do a podcast called something shrimp. Uh, so, I mean, the connections yes. are just kind of the fact that his name is carp. She's official. Like she's promoted them in the past. Like he did this shrimp podcast. I don't know. It kind of all, it felt like it all tied in really too well. Like obviously the internet that loves to go down a rabbit hole uh, found this all kind of like very convenient and the conspiracy theories were just abounding. Um, and then of course there was like the bizarre response that Cinnamon Toast Crunch, the people, the people behind Cinnamon to Toast Crunch's official Twitter kind of gave this like sort of flippant remark in response to the initial tweet that went viral where they were like, no, no, that's not shrimp. That's just like clusters of cinnamon that yeah. somehow like shrimp tails. Uh, so, I mean, that's basically kind of where everything was taking off from. And then of course it took a dark turn as everything on the internet does. Uh, I learned an amazing term this week for what that is. It's called milkshake ducking. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, we, I, I could even I think I could sort of even explain all that. But 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 Pedro, yeah, there's a way in which, you know, for something like this to to become whatever we would call it, the kind of, you know, sort of little mini circus that entertains people for four or five days at a time. It kind of has to mutate. You, you actually need an ineffectual response from the company to keep the story going. Uh, I think then we got sort of uh, photos uh, of the guy like taking the cereal to be tested in some lab or something. I mean, there's a way in which that you need you need this to if it were just somebody who found shrimp in his cereal bag, it probably would have been over a lot faster. Yeah, he I think it's so. Oh, I was just going to say he buckled the box of cereal into the car. Right. Like <laughs> it's a great picture. <laughs> I mean, you know, it is it it always does require the um kind of the target so to speak to 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 gloriously mishandle the uh, the issue and um, which is kind of surprising in this day and age that like anyone running any sort of social media, you know, when faced with something insane, doesn't sort of stop, think and say, hmm, this could spin out of control pretty quick. 
and not try to come up with a response which is like, yeah, that's not what you're saying. That's just sugar, you know, shrimp, shrimp looking sugar. Um, <laughs> it's just kind of like, really like you, you they could not see this coming and, and i mean it happens over and over again and, and it, it is it did require that um you know if they went oh my god there's trip please send these back right away can't believe this is happening we're opening an investigation i mean it's sort of like what would have happened like 20 years ago if someone had had done this and it was on like the nightly news right like you know there would have been like you know general mills has said that you know their stuff is safe but to they're they're, they're in contact with the you know, with the person and, and he's going to get, you know, cinnamon toast crunch for life and, and it would have gone. But I guess that immediate reaction on social media and the fact that the stage is, is so quickly blown up just really turns these things into something just crazy. Well, you you couldn't get this story on the news at any time, really. Yeah. I mean, it's just not that, I mean, we all kind of understand periodically people find stuff, you know, yeah. in packaged food that's not supposed to be there, you know, and I mean, this one is sort of like a, a Christmas list of things that you could conceivably find uh, all, all in one place because we got the dental floss and I think there's yeah. a, a pee and potentially rat poop and, you know, but I mean, do the, do, if you take that to the news desk of any TV station and, and they well, go, well, this is not a story there's some way in which the internet makes it a story well but also i, I think it would have been one of the stories that would have been on like like you know the i team investigates or something like that um you know in in more recent times i think you know like there was like that chicken fried chicken head or whatever with with mcdonald's that i think was also social media blown up but no i agree the internet makes it way more of a story i think because the internet forces a direct dialogue between the uh the aggrieved and the company you know, there is no inter- intermediary. You know, you're tweeting right at the powers that be. The powers that be respond, um, and that response usually dictates where things are going to go. Well, Carolyn, also, doesn't some of the comic tension of this derive from, you know, a, a sort of thing that has silly components? And they, somebody kind of lucked out that it was cinnamon toast crunch as opposed to some much more, you know, like a raisin brand or something like that. It's just, it's funnier that it's that. It's funnier that it's that it's shrimp tails than it would have been, you know, some more prosaic form of food that doesn't belong in your cereal, you know. But I think there's also some of the comic tension, I would assume, is the fact that it's still a pretty rinky-dink thing, which has been blown up into operatic proportions, right? Just making such a big deal out of it, investigating. And people like, <laughs> people like you Carolyn, who like to make, you know, your own content. I mean, I've already seen, for example, a guy uh, who's sort of a chef making cinnamon toast flavored shrimp, you know, uh, in a little video or something. There's sort of a sense that the uh, the attention lavished onto a fairly flimsy con- uh, concept is what sort of drives the whole thing forward. Is that fair? Yeah, exactly. So look, like something like this is one of those things that, yeah, would it matter in, would like the nightly news ever cover this? Probably not. But this is like our modern day soap opera that we can see play out (laughs) in this episodic way. Like we watch all this streaming TV now that you get to binge, but this is something that you have to kind of follow in real time. And there is something really exciting about that. And I know it is so sad that I'm saying that this is (laughs) (laughs) here into a pandemic. I'm just grasping at straws here, but like, I mean, it is, there is something exciting about having to just kind of follow something with these like with these updates and looking at this response and I totally agree with you Pedro that I think uh the company I think General Mills and the Cinnamon Toast Crunch brand manager 
kind of having that response was, I think this could have ended. I mean, the beauty yeah. of it is it, that it didn't. But mm -hmm. I, uh, a couple of years ago, um, I bought some Halo Top ice cream. I bought mint chocolate chip and the container had no chocolate chips in it. I, I believe I lived through this particular crisis. <laughs> this yeah, is sounding very familiar to me. Yes, I, I believe that you did see this on Twitter. So I obviously, I, I did what uh, CARP did and took to Twitter um, to yell at the company nicely, but say like, hey, I bought your mint chocolate chip and there are no chocolate chips. And uh, they were very kind and they actually sent me a voucher, like a coupon to get another container of Halo Top ice cream. I bought another one of mint chocolate chip and it also didn't have chocolate chips. <laughs> very unsatisfying. <laughs> so, uh, but I did not, instead of continuing the saga, I just let it drop because I was like, I'm not going to be this person. Uh, obviously, Carp decided he was going to be this person. And I mean, that's, that is something too. There is something about that, like that, that internet, uh, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I guess that that's the difference between me and him. I mean, and now he's very, you know, very famous for this. Uh, unfortunately, unfortunately, people are investigating his entire dating history and there are women coming forward to say, to say that he's a creep. And so, uh, you know, maybe you were lucky to get the whole, you know, halo top thing over with pretty quickly. Um, so and I think, I think yeah. there is something about like a 41 year old guy who eats cinnamon toast crunch every day that just kind of <laughs> makes it hilarious. Like he unironically is like, well, it's my favorite cereal. I've been eating it forever. Yeah. That's a yeah. late. That's a late blinking on the dashboard right away. That's something yeah. you should kind of to lock down immediately at Mission Control. All right. So I just want to make sure that we, you know, kind of give this sort of this this. I feel like there's this kind of alternative terrain of news. You know, there's a way in which like the news is Joe Biden's press conference and uh, the crisis at the border and whether or not the filibuster is going to be revamped and the horrible election laws. That's sort of the news. And then there's sort of stuff that's actually going on in a very definable way in arts and culture, like something like For All Mankind. And then there's like this third world, you know, and it, it you know, as Carolyn was suggesting before, whether it's the gorilla glue person or the bean dad or it just it goes on all the time now. Uh, and it, it's kind of kept alive uh, on social media. And there are certain newsletters like Today in Tabs with Rusty Foster that you have to get if you really want to get all the details about it. Um, and so the, one of the other components of that this week was the, the boat, the boat that's stuck in the Suez Canal. Uh, and uh, and Pedro, there were like people, I mean, probably the primary thing that people did was identify with the boat, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if there's anything about, you know, 2020 hangover, it's the fact that, you know, we're all on this knife edge of calamity and we don't even know it. And then yet again, here it is, you know, a single boat loses an engine and happens to tip sideways, but it happens to be in the Suez Canal and it blocks 10% of global shipping traffic and it looks hilarious doing it because you know it just looks like it's basically you know parked in a parking spot and it's causing global calamity and it's like yeah it's about right that's about what everything is it's like oh oh it's just this thing yep and it's awful so <laughs> but i think carolyn also there's an attraction to it that it looks also like an oversized kids problem, right? In fact, one yeah. of the one of the tropes of this has been to go like uh, Dan Coyce from Slate just went and just asked kids what they would do about it, sh showed them the problem. Uh, I also found another instance of somebody doing like a fake children's book uh, online <laughs> uh, about the boat and how the boat is like, you know, felt bad about itself and now it feels better about itself. Uh, but Carolyn, I think we're sort of drawn to the childlike nature of this. Yeah, I mean, and it does look like they have children 
trying to solve the problem. Like I looked this up. First of all, this today was the first time I heard of this, which I, cause I've been so entrenched in the cinnamon toast crunch shrimp saga that I missed this. And this is a real, this is another gem, but like they, it, it's like their solution currently it appears is that they have a digger just like trying to dig around the side of the boat mm -hmm. on the shore. And I thought that that was a joke too, but apparently that is real. That's what they've come up with. Uh, to get the boat out. Am I correct in that? Is, was I no, seeing that, that? That's right. And I mean, yeah. I think it was, it started, I think, with a digger, but now there's actually like a, a dredger. But literally, the only way to get this thing out is to dig something like 20 equivalent Olympic sized swimming pools worth of dirt away from the boat. This okay. thing, it's hard to tell because of all the crazy scale involved, but this thing is about as long as the Empire State Building is tall. So, right. You know, and I can tell that <laughs> by, you know, the photo of the tiny one little digger, you know, yeah. just pulling <laughs> earth away right. from this giant boat. And I was like, all right, well, here's problem one for us right yeah. now. Like, we are not even close to having a proper solution for this. And it does feel very on brand for 2020, 2021. Like, yep, we are just stuck. We are causing mm -hmm. more problems. We have just a tiny little digger trying to solve it. And like, I mean, it just, it feels poetic. This, this is, this is what I, I saw of this. I think there's also, I, I will attempt to draw uh, a Papulian through line from one thing to another. Uh, and, and that is to say that, so I'll just quickly say that when I went to uh, a school in West Hartford, that was a private boys school at the time. It's now Kingswood, Oxford. And we had a headmaster named Mr. Leisure, who uh, later life I came to know and love very much. But at the time we were always very annoyed at him because he would not call off school for a snowstorm, even when the public schools were closed. And he would kind of meet us at the gate to the school on Outlook Avenue. Uh, as we were trudging in there, you know, angry uh, to know that the people in our neighborhoods were not going to school and we were. And he was there to say somewhat quietly, we can put a man in, on the moon so we can get to school in the snow. And we used to think those two things have no relationship to one another whatsoever. Uh, but, um, they don't have to plow the moon. So, um, but, you know, there's sort of a sense, I think, that uh, so obviously that sort of resonates a little bit with uh, For All Mankind. It's no longer a man on the moon uh, exclusively. But but also there's that way, I think, Pedro, when we look at something like this and you think, you, th you think, you know, yeah, it does have sort of these Marvel Cinematic Universe proportions to it. I mean, the boat is just way too big and the digger's way too small and all that kind of stuff. But it also seems like, yeah, yeah, we're a technologically sophisticated civilization, and this is like a stuck boat, which just yeah. really feels like a you know fundamentally solvable problem. And there's something weird about its intractability. Exactly. I mean, I think that you and you look at it, and because it doesn't look damaged and it's basically just you know sitting in dirt, it, it looks like like this is all it takes for like calamity. <laughs> is this like? Like and and it is you know and this is actually I'll draw a slight through line uh, into some of my experience in the world of supply chains um, in terms of manufacturing or anything like I don't think people understand I mean I can't you know you're talking about you know building an iPhone or building a jet engine or building any of the stuff right you need all the parts and all the parts have to show up to build the thing which sounds pretty basic but like if a screw doesn't show up on an airplane that needs to get built and that's the you know you can't you can't build a plane so you know this whole thing with supply chains is that i it's kind of this amazing thing that the world like goes and actually operates without 
this collapse every day. I mean, it's not like, you know, boats don't lose engines and get stuck in places, you know, and, and, and these things, you know, there's hundreds of these ships a day or, you know, dozens going through these canals. Like the fact that this is the first time in like, you know, decades that this has happened is just just boggles the mind that like, you know, it's like A, that it hasn't happened to B that when it happens, you know, it's like game over. I think, uh, Carolyn, he's trying to tell us that we're going to have another toilet paper shortage. <laughs> oh, no. Right. <laughs> I can't handle that. But I'll, I'll order another box of 80 rolls just to be safe. So. Right. Um, no, actually, there will be shortages of things. That I think they are saying that just for exactly the reason that he's talking about. We kind of already learned this, I think, during COVID. There was stuff that we needed we couldn't get. Why? Because of supply chain issues. But having a big boat stuck in a canal is different. There's also a terrific – we did a show about this, I'm pretty sure, and we had Rose George, one of our favorite authors. Uh, she has a book called 90% of Everything, the title being 90% of Everything, meaning that's how 90% of everything gets to where it needs to go in these uh, huge containers. Uh, ships, uh, just inevitably, inevitably part of it. So to have them not go where they want to go is maybe a, a bigger deal uh, than we absolutely think. So, so yes, it's been that kind of week, and we didn't even have time to get into in one of the other sub-stories, which is the uh, Amazon drivers who are uh, peeing in bottles and possibly pooping in bags. And there's another nice through line to uh, to for all mankind because uh, when Molly Cobb becomes an astronaut, it turns out that the space suit the space suit isn't rigged up for her to be able to pee in it uh, the way the male astronauts can. So, uh, so this is the world. This is kind of the alternative world we live in. Uh, all of this stuff. Uh, enjoy your cinnamon uh, toast crunch shrimp tails. Hey, Carolyn, when we come back, are you going to be able to do a recommendation? I mean, we <laughs> I know we called you up about an hour and a half ago. We, we, have you got anything ready? I think I do. I think I do. I, right. You know, I, I've been watching some good stuff. All right. So we'll take a break. We'll come back. We'll do that. And we're back. Uh, I want to thank uh, Kat Pastor. She's here in the studios with me on the other side of the glass. She's our technical producer. Uh, thanks, special thanks to uh, Katie Tularski, Connecticut Public's Director of Homeland Security. She uh, volunteered to, well, no, she didn't volunteer. I. I coerced her or something uh, to uh, be a panelist on very short notice. And also special thanks to Carolyn Payne, who wound up having to do the same thing. We lost a panelist uh, in real time. Uh, also, thanks, special thanks to the producer of this episode and pretty much all news episodes. That would be Jonathan McPants. I uh, would like to say that even if it were not necessary for me for very good reasons to ban astronauts from the show, I would continue to ban astronauts from the show because it's so much fun to get him upset about it. Uh, in fact, that's really the main reason they're banned at this point. But they're, they're also just banned. Astronauts cannot appear on this show. All right, so we'll be back next week with a whole raft of uh, pretty interesting new shows for you as well. But right now, uh, our panelists are going to make some recommendations to you. Uh, Pedro, why don't you get us going? Yes. Um, as we all get vaccinated, as we start going out back to um, restaurants for, um, you know, not just takeout, um, I have a recommendation of a new restaurant in New Haven that opened up um, mid-pandemic a few months ago called Camacho Garage. 
and it is um, from uh, Franco Camacho, who is a very well-known chef who has several restaurants in the area, and um, it is a kind of a Mexican, um, high-ish end Mexican restaurant. Um, it is in downtown Westville, um, so it's obviously great. I'm a big booster of downtown Westville. It's a fantastic addition. The food is amazing, um, and it's just go visit. Get your vaccine and, and go visit. <clears throat> and so, see the name again? Uh, it's called um, uh, Camacho's Garage. Camacho's Garage in New Haven. Uh, in Carolyn, New Haven. Carolyn Payne, uh, how, what have you got for us? Um, all right. So I recently watched uh, The Last Blockbuster on Netflix. It's a documentary about the last blockbuster that is in existence, and it's uh, in Bend, Oregon. And uh, it is a fascinating documentary that will fill you with nostalgia if you grew up going to Blockbuster or, you know, was a that Blockbuster was ever a part of your life. It is such a well done uh, documentary. It has comedians who, some of whom worked at Blockbuster when they were young and starting out. And uh, the woman who is the uh, manager of this last Blockbuster is a fascinating character in herself. So I highly recommend that. It's a really interesting uh, and fun watch. And also uh, Jessica Walter passed away yes. yesterday. So I have to endorse uh, re-watching Arrested Development. If you have never watched that or haven't watched in a while, uh, definitely seek that out. Uh, the original three seasons, not when it came back. That just didn't really sparkle for me. But uh, Jessica Walter really made Arrested Development so, so wonderful with her amazing Lucille Bluth character. So I think that's a worth a rewatch. I, I would co-endorse that. And I, even just uh, on Twitter today, seeing some of the clips and little compilations and stuff like that, um, she she really was just spectacular in that role. Um, you know, it's kind of hard. It's a role, too, where she plays this kind of heartless uh, alcoholic mother. Right? So you wouldn't really think that that would be kind of an endearing characterization. But the writing was so sharp and she was uh, so sharp at delivering the lines uh, that, that, yeah, uh, she was great. And so, yeah, just even looking on social media today, and I, I'm having the same nostalgia. I also agree that the re reboot never worked. Um, so um, I'm also going to just uh, let you know that Larry McMurtry, the uh, author uh, who gave us Lonesome Dove and Last Picture Show and stuff like that, uh, he has also uh, died. The news broke uh, earlier today. He died at the age of 84. Um, so I am going to endorse something where I am embarrassingly late to the party, so much so that Pedro in particular <laughs> will emit an amused chuckle at my lateness about this. But let me just explain. I, I can't explain why I hadn't watched it, but let me explain that I was driving in my car and we had we were re-airing a show that we did about, about multiverses. And sometimes when we're doing a show like this that has a lot of different components and we're playing little bits of tape and stuff, I don't know. When we're actually doing it live, I'm just kind of concentrating really hard on just getting the show going in the right direction. You don't think about things too much. But there was a clip that was played from a show called Rick and Morty, which everybody in the world except me has watched. And I'm sure Pedro uh, is among those people. Uh, and th this time when I heard that clip, I thought, well, that really sounds kind of funny. <laughs> <laughs> and so Rick and Morty is an animated show. Uh, it's uh, the story uh, of uh, a guy named Rick Sanchez, who's the smartest man in the world, smartest man in the universe, I believe. Uh, and his grandson, Morty, whom most of the time he barely cares about and finds very annoying, but inexplicably takes him on all of his adventures. And they do have these amazing adventures and 
the the sense of humor there. First of all, it is one of the most fast moving comedy shows I've ever seen in my life. You really, it's almost like if it were a podcast, you might occasionally want to drop it down to point five just so you could sort of make sure you understood everything that just went blazing by you really fast. Uh, but it's uh, it's it's incredibly rewarding in that way too. Uh, it is funnier than necessary, uh, and uh, it also manages to to spoof. Every possible genre, every possible thing within genres, uh, <laughs> take you know, take existing tropes and turn them on their heads, uh, and and also there's just a very vivid imagination behind it too. I mean, there's I, one of the first ones I saw happens to be I think from a later season, but it, it's about a it involves a civilization that's entirely snakes. But then they're like they can all talk to each other and everything. But they just talk by hissing at one another, and and then all these different you know sort of changes of history things go on and kind of Terminator references. So, because of all this, uh, Pedro, I am assuming that you've watched all of Rick and Morty. I have not watched all of it actually, um, but I have watched uh, like a lot of the first season. Right. So, so I'm, I'm actually well behind as well. Okay, but, uh, it is on my. Yeah, it's really, really fun. It's really funny. And I would say that I, I've already got one other person uh, from my family hooked on it. So, uh, all right. So thanks so much to everybody who pitched in today, especially Katie Tularski, uh and Carolyn Payne, who uh, answered the bell at the 11th hour. And of course, also uh, thanks to Pedro Soto. Uh, thanks uh, to Cat uh, Pastor and Jonathan McPants who is scheming right now to sneak an astronaut onto the show. It's like I have to have like the TSA here to make sure he's you know he's going to say, "Oh no, he's he's got a cookbook out." <laughs> you know, I'm going to spot him. I know these astronauts. I see them coming. Vernon, Danbury, Waterbury, Oliveberry, Woodbury, hitting on New Britain. Vernon, how to said that one? Avon, Farmington. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Oh,